Welcome to the Crack Pots Podcast. I'm Pastor Rebecca. And I am Pastor Chad. And so we're kind of discovering that these passion narrative Lenten texts are a bit much. <laughs> they're, they're heavy, they're hard, they're slaps in the face, and no one likes getting slapped in the face for um, six weeks. <laughs> So what we thought was a wise choice, and, I mean, <sighs> and we're like, you know what? We never have the opportunity to dig into these texts individually and dissect them in more detail. We just kind of lump them all together. And now we know why. Oh, crap. <laughs> now we know why. Yeah. Um, because let's face it's, it. It's death by a thousand paper cuts is kind of what it feels like. Yeah. I think. It... I mean, they're rich texts. The problem is when you are in a church that is very, very accustomed to um, much more good news <laughs> than what these texts are going to offer us for, the, for, for these few weeks. Well, yeah, I mean, and here's the reality. Like, so, so a couple things. One... Most of the time when you have a text, when we look at a text and go, okay, what angle do I want to preach this week from this text? There's options. What I've discovered in looking at these texts, there are way fewer options um, for presenting the material right. in, a, in, a faithful, in a faithful way. Um, well, like this, this week's text was um, that pretty much the, the part you, you have to preach is that my kingdom is not of this, from this world, yeah. of this world, from this world, depending on the translation. Um, and, you know, because this picking apart the whole what is truth question, I mean, that's just a rabbit hole you don't want to go down. <laughs> um, but it... It, on the one hand, you know, you, you can softball it. You, you, I could have preached about um, the glories of, of the kingdom of Jesus and that kind of stuff and not really addressed the, the, the differences between the kingdoms of the world and the kingdom of God. But I kind of felt that given it's the worldly kingdoms that are actually going to put him to death, that seemed relevant and necessary to talk about. Yeah, I think one of my reflections on this, this journey through Lent this year, um, and particularly this dive into Holy Week, does it not... The, the, so it's heavy, right? It's heavy, it's dark, it's hard, it's a struggle. And there's a reason we usually like let you sit with it on Good Friday and then, hey, look, it's Easter. But is this not maybe a window into just the heaviness that the disciples were dealing with in Holy Week? Right. I mean, so here, here's the reality. So people come to worship. And they struggle, they may struggle for that hour. Backtrack. They're struggling for that 15 minutes of the sermon and, and maybe till they get out the door 
maybe till they go to sleep. So in a, good, in, in a perfect world, they struggle with it till they go to sleep at night. They'll right. wake up, it's a new day, and on with your week, right? Um, now, now that, and that's not to say that people don't, don't listen and don't hang on words and, and our sermons mean nothing. I, I, don't, I don't mean to imply that. Um, I, I hope that people take the messages and take scripture and take worship, the, the, whole, exp- the whole experience, and take it home to carry them through the week or to, to wrestle with through the week and then come back the following week. Well, I, but, I think that... But this, but this whole thing here, like with this journey through Holy Week, is like, man, this is the heavy... Like my reflection, this is the heaviness that the disciples were... were that was weighing on them in the midst of this, this, this really challenging time. Well, and I think one of my struggles with it is that if you were someone this weekend who was coming looking for comfort in church, I don't know that that was what you found. Um, <laughs> uh, in, you know, it, it, it was not necessarily a com- in any way, shape, or form a comforting text um, or a comforting sermon. And I, I at least kind of at the beginning tried to say, you know, here's my caveat. It's a heavy text. I get it. It's, you know, this is, this is not an easy topic. There's a reason that we a lot of times just let these texts kind of be on their own. We don't even usually preach on them. Um, we just read them and let them sit and speak for themselves. Right. And so kind of picking apart and preaching on texts we normally just let sit because all on their own they're heavy enough is, you know, it's, it's real. It's, and at the same time, I mean, it, it was an opportunity to really highlight the differences and the intense struggle that we face as Christians in a world that is ruled by Pontius Pilate's. Right. And what our instinct typically is going to always be is to react in worldly ways. Um, to react kind of like Peter did, wanting, you know, cutting the guy's ear off, you know, that kind of thing. Is, well, it, it's to fight. That, that's the instinct. Um, right. The, the instinct is when you see something like this happening, um, you stand up, you fight, and that is going to seem like the right thing to do in a ton of circumstances. And we're living in a world right now where we're trying to navigate what is the right thing to do when there is someone who is being extremely aggressive and deadly. Yeah. And do you meet that with violence? Or is there another way? And what is that other way? That isn't going to get ton, you know, tens of thousands of people killed. Well, let's let's just let's just be honest. Speaking of, speaking of that, there there is no way to deal with it um, in a fashion that is there, that there aren't significant ramifications. Right. So so currently the world is not is not doing any sort of military intervention, right? 
um, you know, we're supplying and economic sanctions. Well, who ultimately is paying the price for those economic sanctions? Mm. Not the people necessarily making the decisions to right. It, invade it's hurting the people. It's Ukraine. not Ukraine. It's it's the it's the it's the it's the it's the and, and it's I the get common it. people. The, the the hope is that then the people will revolt against. Yeah. their own government. And Which, and those who are, have been arrested by the tens of thousands. Yeah. And, you know, how many of them are even alive? Let's just right. call it, it a thing. Yeah. I mean, it's being faced with the, what I always call, no, no good options. Yep. There are no good options here. Um. And, and just just to add to that, you know, I had someone a few weeks ago push back on the notion that we need to pay for the pray for the people of Russia, and they just kind of looked at me. I said, "Listen," I said, "You know, we can't hold an entire country of citizens responsible for the actions of the government when the government is not very clearly not expressing the will of the people. Right? Like there 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 are ramifications." for the citizens of Russia um, that we need to pray for as well. And just well, generally pay, praying for peace. And, you know? and let's just, uh, and, and let's just for, for the sake of argument, I'm not saying that this is the case, but for the sake of argument, let's say they are our enemies. What does Jesus tell us to do? Kill them! Oh. Cut their ears up! No. Uh, hmm. Crap. <laughs> right like tells that's us, tells us to pray for them that's that, yeah love your enemy pray I for mean, your enemy so regardless of how we view yep. them yep. whether you know it's like you said you know which is primarily my motivation is i'm like well you know it, this isn't the fault of the people this is this is you know the fault of some powerful um egos but at the same time even if let's say that whole you know all, all of the russian people were completely behind them you know yep. what was going on etc i am still called to pray for them so it's funny so we i mean, I, pr I, pr I, I, I will tell you right now i pray putin has a change of heart i, I mean i'm just gonna i'm gonna you know, that, that he can somehow overcome the narcissism that and, and sociopathy that has him in its grip and is able to take a step back. Um, I don't have a lot of hope that that's going to happen, but I can pray for that. <laughs> so, so, face, so Facebook, if you're, if you're a Facebook person, Facebook does this thing where it brings up memories, right? It reminds you of posts that you had a year ago, um, or two years ago, or three years ago, or however many years ago, whatever. So last week, a memory came up, um, and it was a quote from a member of the congregation I served in Gainesville. And I'll never forget it. Um, clearly, we were in the midst of Holy Week, you know, really tough stuff. And this person, um, we were kindred spirits in that we experienced the Holy Spirit through our eyeballs. 
Ah, so, you, you have leaky eyeballs when, yes. when the Holy Spirit is active. So, so there were many, many times in worship, and it was, always, it was never the same thing. Sometimes it was a sermon, sometimes it was a prayer, sometimes it was a song that would move him to tears. So we were, we were kindred spirits, um, so to speak. And he came, out to, he came up to me after worship with tears in his eyes, and he said, you know, Pastor, this, G- this Christian thing is really damn hard. Oh, I saw you sharing Yes. That. Yes, I saw and, you share that. And I said, yes, it absolutely is. And, you know, as we're, so, as we're, so it was just kind of funny, as we're going through these, these difficult texts and sort of, you know, looking at and examining more deeply how hard it is and, and seeing the disciples' reactions, which are, the disciples so often mirror us, right? So, Peter, I'm going to cut your ear off. I, that's, a, that's a very us thing. Well, and to be honest, and part of the thrust of my sermon was, we're also kind of Pilate. Yep. Um, yep. You know, it's, Pilate knew what the right thing to do was, but we're, like, we're supposed to be the Jesus character in life as, as followers, as Christians. And when you read the stories, we don't often identify with the Jesus character. We often identify with the other person. Right. Now, I get it. We're not divine, blah, blah, blah. I, I get it. We're not yeah, Jesus. Exactly. But we're supposed to be, we're supposed to try to align more with Jesus than Pilate, the disciples, you know, what, whoever the other character is. So, Yeah. Yeah. It's damn hard because, doing this stuff. Yeah, when you when you look at Pilate, you're like, he, I mean, he knows. He's like, yeah, this guy hasn't done anything that really warrants this, but... Pilate what, tries... What's the path of least resistance? Pilate tries so hard to say, listen, like, y'all are wrong. Like, y'all don't want to do this. And they're like, yeah, we do. We want him. Yeah, not, nope, don't give us bread. Nope, Jesus. No, nope, no, nope. give us yep, Jesus. That's the guy. He's gone. That's the guy. And it's like, no, no. Yep, that's the guy. And, and again, so, you know, how many times have we, you know, in various aspects of our lives, gone with the self-preservation route, yep. right? So... What's going to be, in his case, what's going to be politically advantageous? What's yep. going to... Um, Yep. be the thing that basically smooths things over and yep. will, like I said, be the path of least resistance. It will, it will be what's expedient. It will be what pacifies. It will be what calms things down. Um, and so that's, that's the path that, that he takes. And, and, on, and on some level, if you're pilot, it's, well, it's either Jesus or me. Yeah. Uh, Jesus sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, mean that, I mean, that's literally what it comes down to. And, and again, it throws back into our faces, you know, that, that take up your life for me, carry your cross, you know, that sort of thing. And you go, oh, oh, we're, we're supposed to do that. Yeah. Well, and that's what I mentioned is I said, you know, I think a lot of times what we do when we, we read this text or whatever, we go, well, that's Jesus. That's not us. 
That's not what we're called to do. That's just, that was Jesus' mission. That was what he was here to do. He came with that purpose of dying, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's, that's not what the expectation is of us, except then you do get those texts where Jesus is saying things like, oh, I don't know, pick up your cross and follow me, which there's only one purpose for a cross. Despite us putting diamonds and jewels and all kinds of things on it and wearing it around our neck, um, there is only one purpose for a cross. Yeah, and it ain't a necklace. No, and that... That Not to knock people who wear crosses as necklaces. No, I, I have some. You know, it's in, we, we wear them. I wear one in worship. Um, but the reality is that is a symbol of being... It, 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 it's a symbol of state execution. Yeah. It, it's a symbol of being killed by it's the, the, it's the empire. The, it's, the, it's like wearing, in some respects, it's like wearing an electric chair around your neck. Yeah, and it, it, it's an interesting thing that that is the symbol that we really kind of glommed onto in Christianity. Uh, I know a lot of early Christians actually used the fish instead of the cross, and then yeah. at some point in time the cross kind of, um, I have to research exactly. I know part of it had to do with Constantine, where he decided that was the symbol that they were going to conquer under. Um, which, again, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> interesting choice. <laughs> we, so we, we had a conversation about the cross and whether... So previous congregation actually had Jesus on the cross, mm -hmm. which is a more Catholic thing. Yes. Which, which, which really ha is an interesting conversation. The crucifix. Right. Yeah. So is it... So for me, it's very theological, right? So is our theology Jesus on the cross or Jesus off the cross? Right. Right? Yeah. So where, where do you find that? Where, where's the core value in your faith? That Jesus died or that Jesus, ro Jesus rose? Right. For Lutherans, well, yeah. it's, it's the resurrection piece. The well, and, piece. and again, that just kind of comes down. There's some different even within the Eucharist, of what is the Eucharist? Well, it's the, the sacrifice all over again. Right. Um, which is why the crucifix, as opposed to just the empty cross, right. is, is what they, they focus on because every part of worship for them, you know, when they, when they do the Eucharist, is that is the sacrifice just over and over and over again. Yep. And we tend to view it more as the forgive you know the forgiveness aspect etc um as opposed to an actual sacrifice that we're performing every week yeah and yet we still use some of the i mean we still do it on an altar i mean what's an altar for sacrifice and stuff sacrifice and stuff uh so when you think about you know what you know symbols we use in a church it's it's really <laughs> it's kind of, I mean, they aren't shiny, happy symbols. So, so, this, so this is interesting. So many non-denominational churches, I won't say all, but many non-denominational churches don't have an altar. They don't have an altar, and a lot of them don't have the cross. Right. They, they, I see more crosses than altars. 
Yeah, but there are some. Tr there are a lot yep. of Nandanam that have have even gotten away from having yep. the cross. Which is which is really interesting. Again, theologically speaking, what's the per why do we have an altar? Like. I, I mean, it, it, it is a memorial, so to speak, of the sacrifice that was made. Um, so. See, I, but again, for me, that's not the altar, it's the cross. Right. Because Jesus wasn't sacrificed on an altar, Jesus died on the cross. No, but he was symbolically, he was the, uh, the yes. Paschal Lamb, yes. which was typically yes. sacrificed on an altar. Correct. So the, the symbolism of the Passover, that kind of stuff, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, still holds. And, I mean, we're, we're let's face it, our, our churches are based on, for, you know, to some degree, a lot of the stuff we still use in our churches, we're based on the temple and the things that were present in the temple. Why do we have, you know, candles? Um, because they were to signify the presence of God. That, and it was really dark um, <laughs> before electricity. <laughs> yes. Practical. I mean, functional purpose, it was really dark. Um, symbolic purpose was the, the menorah, the, the uh, seven spired, whatever you want to call it, um, lampstands were representative of the seven spirits of God that were present in the temple, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, that's why we have candles. Um, Which brings up the whole conversation again about the Christ candle and when it should and shouldn't be lit. Oh, I don't want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> so so, so in, in most congregations, I, I'm probably going to get this wrong. So you can Google it. You can alter guild, handbook it. Or whatever. In most congregations, the the Christ candle, so the candle that we have beside our font, the big tall Jesus y candle, is lit during Easter and during baptisms. Correct. That's it, right? That technically that's when it's supposed to be right. lit. Yeah. So what I got here, we lit that thing every single week. Yep. And I was like I don't know that we do that, air quote. So, so right. you, you tried not lighting it for so a while. So I'm like, you know, <laughs> and, and we had a conversation and you're like, yeah, I mean, I, typically that's all that it's lit. So we literally, did we, did we last two weeks? Maybe. Maybe. I think maybe it went two weeks when somebody finally noticed that like it was maybe on purpose. Well, and so I remember coming in, and I'm, I'm standing here for worship, or sitting here, and I keep looking and going, why the hell isn't that thing lit? <laughs> and, well, and again, it, I, it, was, it, was, it was a staff decision not to light it, based on... on Tradition, on, 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 theology. I'm, I'm gonna, blah, stupid blah, blah, church blah. rules, yeah. right? Like, oh, well, you light it here, but you don't light it here. And, you, and I'm like, so, so wait a minute, so... The idea, as I understand it, is that it's kind of like the Christ candle is Christ's presence and Christ's resurrection. Well, we're not a people that only believes that Jesus was resurrected on Easter. Like, right. like it's not like he woke up for that day and was like, all right, peace out, I'm dead again. The, like, 
the flip so it side didn't of, make sense. Yeah, the flip side of that argument is that's what the eternal flame is for. Yeah. Eh. <laughs> I know. Eh. Is it is lit constantly to remind us of the presence of Christ. Let's be honest. Our eternal flame. It's a light bulb. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm not arguing. And, I, and I get it. Like fire, like fire hazardy stuff. I'm just saying. Here, here was the. I, 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 know. I mean, personally, I have no issue. It's, it's one of those. Um, and I will always butcher how you pronounce this. Adiaphora. Adiaphora. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, kind of things to me where it's like, do you light it? Do you not light it? It's like whatever. I don't. Adiaphora meaning. Adiaphora meaning it doesn't matter. It don't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, it, is not a, an, it is not something that is going to affect salvation in any way, shape, or form. Therefore, it really doesn't matter. Correct. But in a congregation, it matters. Uh, <laughs> because if you aren't lighting the Christ candle, then people are going, we don't understand. Why aren't we lighting that candle? Isn't that Jesus? And shouldn't we have... Jesus' presence with us all the time, blah, 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 and it's... You but just, I, I'll admit, I felt that too. Like, yeah, I, I no, was, and, and I honestly, it's one of those things, there are a lot of battles you fight and a lot of battles you don't. That is not a battle I'm interested in fighting in any way, shape, or form. I, I just, I'm, I'm like, light the sucker, I don't care. <laughs> so, so, it's, so it's really interesting. So this, this so Sunday, I, I was not in worship. I was in Naples celebrating the, my internship supervisor, um, he re he's retiring after 25 years of serving that congregation, 23 interns, you know, all kinds of, you know, legacy stuff. And one of the, one of the, one of the beautiful gifts of that congregation, because Naples is super transient, so it's not just snowbird heavy, which it is, it's also vacationer heavy. So, so for them, they, they would have frequently on a weekend double-digit visitors that were there for the weekend or there for a week or two just to vacation and coming to church on Sunday, and then they would go back to wherever. And maybe they vacation again and come back. But the beauty of, of what would take place in that congregation, there were almost nobody who grew up in that congregation so there weren't, this is how we've always done things. Plus, you throw in an intern program where you have literally one person of the staff is turning over every year for 23 years. Like, there's just this spirit in that congregation that, well, we can just do new things and it's okay. Which is not the norm. <laughs> really not the norm. And, and from an internship standpoint, it was one of those things like, okay, so this place isn't real. Um, this isn't really how the real world pastoring stuff works because it's, it's that unicorny piece. But for, for congregations like that, they're really, they're like almost, almost everything is Adiaphora. Yeah. But in many congregations, There's a long nothing is Adiaphora. Yeah, long well, no, tradition, long this, history. This is truly important. Well, why is it important? Well, theologically it's not important, but for, for, for people it's, and then the question for us becomes, at what point do things become sort of more idly and that becomes the, a focal point or something that becomes more important or on par with, right. oh, oh my God, I can't experience Jesus if we don't have this, whatever this is. Yeah. And for every congregation, that's different. 
and, and, but also the flip side of that is recognizing that ritual is important. And yes. ritual has deep meaning for people and there's a reason we do ritual because ritual is how we are able many times to connect. So that, that's the purpose of it. Is yeah. It is a means and a way through which we connect. So, you know, there's two sides to that argument. One, yeah. don't make the ritual, ritual an idol, but at the same time recognizing that ritual is important because yeah. ritual is the way in which we are able to find comfort and connect and find deep meaning. Yeah. So it's, yeah. And, and, I, and I, I don't want to say ritual isn't important to me, but it's not at the top of my list. And, and I, so for me, I have to remind myself of that. Um, there, there are people who are just deeply, deeply steeped in their ritual, yeah. and it's not a bad thing. No. Just, you know, to, to make sure we put that out there, that is not a bad thing, because no. that is what you connect with, yep. and that is important, and that is how God speaks to you and speaks through you, then having that ripped away can be really, really hard. So yep. having to be cognizant of, of that as well. Correct. Um, Kind of getting back to our text no. <laughs> of, though, you know, the, again, these, these, we kind of got here by talking about symbols and the cross and all of that fun stuff and picking up our cross, following Jesus and the realities of, so we have lived in the worldly kingdoms. That. I think part of our struggle is the worldly kingdoms are more real to us than the kingdom of God. Because we live, I mean, we live it, right? We live it. It's we live it. We catch glimpses of the kingdom of God. We, that the kingdom of God is something we strive for. But when you're enmeshed in something, when it is all you are surrounded by, you cannot help but think that way and be part of how it operates. Right. I mean, I'm not trying to make an excuse, but the reality is this is, you know, to, to um, quote a, a, a now deceased parishioner one time who, who said to me, but this is all I've known. Yeah. This is all I have ever known. Right. This is how I was raised. This is what I have known. This is the only way I've ever understood it. And to try and alter that is hard, hard, hard work. Yeah. And so, you know, when you... It, and, and if you want to look at family systems and things like that, you know, if you're being raised in an abusive system guess what? Nine times out of ten, you're going to also probably be somewhat abusive yep. because it's what you know. Yep. It's what you were raised in. Um, so to have Jesus kind of come in and say, um, there's a different way, but it's going to rail against your sensibilities and it's going to rail against everything you know. It's hard. Yep. 
And I think that's part of why you don't see the kind of change in the world that we sit here and struggle and go, I don't get it, why isn't there change? I, I, I don't understand why. If, if God's will be done, if God's kingdom is going to triumph, blah, 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 why are we not seeing more change? Why is it we can read the Bible, we can read these, especially the Old Testament stories from however, you know, thousands of years ago, and we still identify because we're like, nothing has changed. Yeah. We still behave this way. This is still how we respond. This is still what we do. Well, then we could say, oh, well, well that, that, was, that was before Jesus. And then you look at Paul's letters to the churches, they're like, oh. No, it's not. Churches were still this way too. <laughs> well, and even, again, in these texts, we're proving and showing that even those who were closest to Jesus, there was a limit. Right. And they were like, whoop, nope, bye-bye. Now, flip side of this, one of the things I kind of point out, pointed out in my sermon was, you know, it is a rather miraculous that 2,000 years later we are sitting here having this conversation about this. Because it has survived for 2,000 years. Name, name the things that have survived for 2,000 years. It's a short list. Well, worldly kingdoms have. <laughs> worldly kingdoms have. Christianity has. Now, again, one of the things I kind of point out is part of why Christianity survived probably had something to do with the fact that the Roman Empire took it over and co-opted it and then forced it upon people. I'm not sure that that was the way in which God really wanted that to happen, necessarily. It is what it, you know. Well, we, but, I mean, we have a push again yeah. by certain segments of society that are trying, in some fashion, trying to do that again. Yeah. Um, if we're being honest. Yeah. But I also can't blame those early Christians for capitulating, you know, for saying, you know, I'm, I'm tired of being persecuted. I I'm tired of being thrown in with the lions. I'm tired of uh, living in fear constantly. And saying, oh, hey, look, the empire is actually going to take it over and I am now protected, basically. Yeah. Um, and this is where you get Augustine suddenly writing things like, hmm, so just war. We have to figure out how to reconcile an empire going to war with Christianity because up until that point, it didn't really jive. And so he started, like, making all of these, like, stipulations for, well, this is when war is okay. And he had to. I mean, if they were going to be part of the, the empire and they were going, and, and, and an empire in and of itself is always going to be oppressive, is always going to be at war with other nations, etc. Their whole point is to conquest and to, you know, if you're going to meld with that, you have to find a way to 
justify why you're melding with it. Yeah, we can't all be Switzerland. No. And we've spent... I guess. Yeah, I was going to say past Switzerland because Sw Switzerland's kind of changed their tune. But... Yeah. <laughs> um, but... You know, there's, there, there's kind of that cognitive dissonance then that we've lived with for 1,700 years. Yep. Of this was not the way the early Christian movement actually was. They were not part of the empire. And then we became part of the empire. Instead of being the persecuted, we became the persecutors. And that kind of shift, I think, was not a good thing. Like I said, the only bright spot in that is, as a result, we have survived for 2,000 years. And you and I are able to sit here now and look back and critique the past 1,700 years of Christendom um, in, in the world. And True. the harm that it's done, the, the, the bad parts, but also some of the good parts. Well, it, it's... The whole thing of learning from history and history repeating itself and yada, yada, yada. It's like, man, like we have this, this really amazing and timeless book that can really help us navigate the world to make the world, um, to make the world the way we're, we're, to make the world a place where no one is, is, quote, no one's left behind, for lack of a better way to put it, that everyone can have abundant life, and we just continue to just go, eh, eh. That's, it's, it's hard. It's very hard, and it's very, um, as we, you know, look at and struggle with these, with these texts, well, I think and with our history, I also look at, and this was something I kind of brought up at the very end of my sermon, was, you know, um, the disciples were sitting in this darkness, basically expecting to die. Yeah. Um, they, they were expecting that it, they were going to be next. Someone was going to come arrest them. They were going to get crucified. That was, that was probably what was coming next. And then they witnessed the resurrection. And it changed everything. Well, did it? So, so after the resurrection, where does Jesus find them? They're all locked inside a room. Yeah, that's what I mean. They're, yeah. they're, all, they're all huddled. They're all, this is what they're, you know. But then they're like, uh -oh. resurrected Jesus. And now suddenly you've got those same 12 people out not caring anymore if they wind up where Jesus is. Yeah. Because the ultimate message there was God's kingdom overcomes death. So death became not the, um, I guess, frightening thing that, that, it, that it is. And they were able to say, oh, okay, that's not the end. But that's a really, really hard thing, I think, to throw all your faith behind 2,000 years later. Yeah. And 
it's the hope, though, that we have to cling to. It's a... It's the hope we're supposed to cling to. Yeah, well, we're supposed to uh. cling to, but at the end of the day, it's also the hope we have to cling to. I mean... So I, I, think, I think I struggle with the word cling to because I feel like we still cling so often to every last gasp of breath for life. And... So I'm saying, I'm, the, the most poignant example in my life are my grandfather and my great-grandfather. My grandfather actually died before my great-grandfather. My great-grandfather, deep man of faith, um, got to a point in his life where um, he was 95, somewhere between 95 and 100, and was finally, finally starting to slow down. I mean, he was pretty remarkable. And he went, in, went to the doctor. He was having some minor heart issues, and they wanted to put a pacemaker in. And he looked at the doctor and said, man, I'm 90-whatever years old. Why the hell would I want to do that? He said, I buried kids. I buried my wife. I have deep faith. I know where I'm going. When it's my time, it's my time. You are not, I am not getting a pacemaker put in. My grandfather, on the other hand, not a person of faith, um, to say that uh, his life was, um, he was, whatever negative impression you have of a used car salesman, that was my grandfather. Um, it, it just, love him to death, but that is my grandfather. No faith, um, started, air quote, attending church, um, by watching uh, church on TV, once I got to seminary, I was like, well, wait a minute. My grandson's doing this. Maybe I need to pay some attention. <laughs> Whatever. Don't know why. But he literally would have given anything for one more breath. Right. Like his, his whole operation in life was one more breath. Whatever it takes, one more breath. And I feel like so much... And I'm not, I'm not saying we all need to, you know, go look for ways to die. No. And that's absolutely not what I'm out. saying. Um, but, but there's a difference between, there's a difference between that, that life and that death. And we cling so much to life because I think we still fear death. Well, and of course we do. It's instinctual. Um... And it, and, and it is always, regardless of your faith, there is always still a, a little bit of fear of the unknown, of, you know, if you have not experienced it yourself, <laughs> you, don't, you, you don't necessarily know that that's, you know, how it's going to be. And but so, should, should, so should it be fear or hopeful anticipation? Well, but that's my point, is that, Right? But you have hopeful anticipation when there is what I would call absolute certainty, that this is what's going to happen. When I go to, um, you know, visit, I don't know, Disney World or something like that, 
for most people, there's that hopeful anticipation because you know what's waiting for you there. Now, granted, because we live in a broken world, rides break down and things don't always go according to plan, but you have this hopeful anticipation that when you get there, this is how things are going to operate. Um, it is a little different because we do rely 100% on faith. We've, we don't really know anybody who's been there. You know, it's like I can have all the promises in the world about what Disney World is going to be like. But when you're talking to a whole bunch of people who are, you know, like, well, no, I've actually never been to Disney World, but I hear it's really good. So you're saying the word of mouth and marketing of Disney is more powerful than the word of mouth of Jesus and Scripture. No, what I'm saying is people have actually been to Disney <laughs> and come back. <laughs> okay. And but, so, but so did Jesus. Yes. Jesus went to Disney and came back, and it's in a book that we all, that we all read. We, not all, that, that, that many people read and, and, and preach and pray and practice the faith, and that's the part that we're like, yeah, no. Like, like, did you know and what I'm part, saying? And like, part of that I, problem is that it is now if I actually, like, had Jesus in the flesh talking to me about it, that might be a little different than somebody who knows 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 somebody from 2,000 years ago um, saying, this, this is it. It, it's hard. I, I mean, it, it, it I know is, it's hard. Yeah, it, it is. It's hard because faith is about the unseen. Faith is about believing even though you don't see it, you don't necessarily even experience it, and you rely 100% on faith. And that can be really hard for people. Because especially in our culture, and our society, we are definitely a... Um, I, I was born in the show-me state. <laughs> I don't believe it till you show it to me uh, kind of thing. Because, um, yes, I was actually born in Missouri. I was not born in Nebraska, which, you know, Nebraska is all about... Um, uh, it's not for everybody. So... <laughs> Uh, Nebraska's not for everybody, and Missouri is the show-me state, so that's my background. Um, <laughs> and to, you know, pour everything into it and stake your life on something that you have not known anyone else that has actually gone through or experienced, um, it, it's, it's hard. It's not the easiest thing in the world. So it is difficult to be willing to put your life on the line, I think, for your faith many times because it is exactly that. It's faith. And faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen, the very definition of faith, Hebrews 11. Uh, <laughs> yeah. is you don't see it, 
you don't experience it, but you know it's true. And that can falter. And, you know, I'll, I'll flat out admit, I don't know that I have ever truly faced death. Um, you know, I've had a few moments of being, you know, scared or whatever. Of, I was in a bad car accident one time, and it was really painful. And uh, there was that moment where I was like, oh, this is what it's like to die, and it really, really hurts. <laughs> and, you know, that was probably the closest I've really ever come, to my knowledge. Uh, there, there may have been other times where I was closer and I just didn't know it. Um, but it, you know, it, it, coming to grips with your own mortality is not easy. And Correct. holding on to that faith and holding on to the word of 12 disciples from 2,000 years ago that witnessed it. So, what I'm hearing is the whole what happens to us after we die, we struggle with, right? Yeah, I mean, like, okay. I think, so, I think a lot of people do. Now, there, so, there are so some here, that so don't. Here's, so, here, so here's, here's, again, verbal processor here. So here's my struggle. We, so we collectively... Not absolutely, but we collectively struggle with the idea of death, what it looks like, resurrection, and all of those things, right? Yet, we also struggle in the church to want to make the kingdom of God here and now. Correct. So, we don't have, we're, we're, we sort of have this, 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 this weird uncertainty about death and what happens when we die and what that looks like. We think it's going to be awesome, but we're not really sure. We don't really want to get there, but maybe we will, and whatever. We know the world right now is not God's kingdom, right? Not, right. not, not the kingdom. But we don't want to do the work for the kingdom because it's hard, because we think it's going to be easier than dying, but we're afraid to die. We're actually more afraid to make the kingdom of God what it is now than we are to die. Yeah. Which, what the hell? Like, yeah. I, like, I, I, like, for me, I, and, and maybe, uh, you know, you're, I'm, I'm kind of listening, I'm kind of absorbing, I'm kind of trying to, you know, wrestle in my own head. I don't think I'm afraid to die. I, again, I'm not going out, I'm not going to go run into traffic and seek it out. I think, I think what, I think my, can, my, my, I'll use air quote, my fear of dying is Will my wife be okay? Will my kids be okay? You know, will they be taken care of? Right. I don't want them to go... Th I, I don't... So for me, it's, it's I don't want others to go through whatever that stroke... Man, maybe this is a whole Enneagram thing where, you know, I, I don't... I care less about my needs and wants than other people's. So... I don't really care what happens to me when I die, but I'm worried about, wow, that's really weird. Holy deep psychoanalytic, <laughs> analyze myself in the midst of a podcast. Um, whew, sorry for that. Um, but I, I, and for me, so I, and I've said this on here, I don't, 
I don't know how many podcasts we've done, but probably, I probably mentioned this as much as you've mentioned Revelation. You know, I want this world to be more reflective of the kingdom of God. And Hands and, down, plain and, and in simple. And in my estimation, that's what God wants too. Exactly. Is the, the, the ushering in of the kingdom of God on earth. But we're okay to just go, well, you know what? I'm, I'm going to say some prayers about it, and I'm going to kind of hope it exists. But then when I die, I'm going to really hope that it's that way. But I don't want to die, and I'm afraid to die, because I don't know what's going to happen when I die. But I don't want to do the work to actually make this place because, be more like the kingdom so of God. The, the question and, is, why are you afraid to do the work? The reason you're afraid to do the work is because it might result in your death. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the reality, because when you speak truth to power, when you take on the worldly kingdoms, their response is to try to kill you, get rid of you. Right. It's get rid of you because you are a threat to what gives worldly kingdoms their power. So that's the part of Scripture that we actually take hold of, right? Jesus tried to change the world, and Jesus died, therefore we can't. That's the part we hold on to. Yeah. We solved it. Like, that's the, that's the part of Scripture that we really, really, really hold on to. Jesus, Jesus wanted the world to be different. Jesus challenged it. Jesus died. Therefore, as followers of Jesus, we can't challenge it or we die. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I, that's, I think, part of the reality yeah, um, of, of the fear. But like I pointed out, I said, look, you had 12 people that went out and, you know. And did they, die. They did. They died. But they also created something that became dangerous enough to the Roman Empire that the Roman Empire co-opted it. How, how do so you... think about that. In that 300 years, it became a powerful enough force that the emperor of the Roman Empire went, huh, I need to control this. And the only reason you decide you need to control something is because it's a threat. So here, question. How, how, do you, how, do you want, how do you want to die? Me? This, this is morbid, I know. I'm, oh, I want to die in a way I don't think I know I did. <laughs> right. So, so if there's, I sleep. <laughs> so, so, the, so, the, so there's two common answers to that question, right? <laughs> One is in my sleep. Yeah. Right? So I don't know. I just die in my sleep. I don't know. Or I want to die doing something I love. I, I, I want to die um, peacefully in my sleep and not like the passenger screaming in my car. Right. Yeah. So it's like that or I want to die doing something I love suddenly. Right? Yeah. Like, like, I, like, okay, so I love to fish. Not really me, but I love to fish. I want to be you love out. You to golf, and you're golfing in the middle of a thunderstorm, and you get electrocuted, and you're well, going to be happy. Well, I don't, I don't want to be in the middle of a thunderstorm, because <laughs> then I'll fear, then you have the chance of, oh my God, if I don't get out of the, off the golf course, I'm going to die. I want that sudden strike of lightning right. that, that just, boom, instantly. Out of the blue. You didn't know right, it was coming. Out of the blue, didn't know it was happening. So, so I, mean, to, I mean, there's two ways that people want to die, peacefully in their sleep, or doing something they love, right? So, I mean... So if we're, do it, if we're trying to make the world a better place and that happens to be how we die, this is really morbid, I know. It is. It, but, but hey, we're again, in, we're in these legs. are the texts. Right. That's the, the, that, yeah. that is what this te these texts are yeah. going to make you struggle with. 
And so I, if you're sitting I, here going, this is really dark, it's like, well, guess what? That's what Good Friday is. Yeah. I mean, it, it is dark. It is because it brings to the forefront the stark reality of the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. Yeah. And the fact that Jesus comes along and tells us, here's the prayer I want you to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're supposed to pray that all the time because that's what we're supposed to want, that's what we're supposed to work for, it's what we're supposed to strive for. And yet, when push comes to shove, we run away from Jesus and say, nope. Right. I, I'm really a kingdom of God here and now person. I, I, I mean, man. Yeah, I, I, as I, am I. But again, I, I mean, it, and I point out in my sermon, when you speak truth to power, when you take on those things, you face losing friends, losing your job, losing your life. And sometimes some of those are scarier than losing your life. Losing your job, it's like, okay, I'm alive, but I'm starving on the streets. Yeah. I have, I have a, a, a friend who, formerly homeless, and now kind of teeters on the edge of homelessness and, and being housed. So he has a place, he rents a place, um, does odd jobs, Money is not, he does not live by money. Money does not rule his world. His, his whole thing is, I just need enough to get from one day to the next. And he lives his life that way. Um, and he, a few weeks ago, called me in a, a self-described crisis. I, I'm supposed to do this thing, and I was supposed to work for this person and he got sick and I can't work and now I'm not going to have the money to do this, to get gas in my car, to go to do this thing that's really important to me that I really think God wants me to do. Pastor, what do I do? And I said, so we had a long conversation because there was no short conversation with him. And I said, you know, I said, here's, here's the reality. Like, you of all people have told me over and over and over again Pastor, I just have that faith. I know that God, has, God will provide because God has always provided in ways that I have not expected. If God wants you to make this trip and do this thing, God will provide. I said, and I'm not saying that as a pastor. I'm saying that as something that you have told and frankly taught me because I've seen it happen in your life over and over. Not a lavish person does not have you know, does not have many things in this world. Mm -hmm. You know, not the collect... He is not storing stuff up in his barn. Um, he has no barn. He has nothing to store. That Monday, I believe that conversation was on a Thursday. That Monday, he called me and said, Pastor, you're not going to believe this. This happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. I got to where I was supposed to go. I did what I was supposed to do. It was an amazing experience. God provided a way. Yeah. And well, I just said, yep. Yeah. And, I mean, and I think the reality, too, though, is, you know, when we're talking about all this and, you know, fearing death and that kind of stuff, it all kind of depends, too, on what your life is like. Yeah. Um, for a lot of us, we, we have relatively good lives. And thus, letting go of them is a little harder than the people who actually probably are praying for death. You know, because they're, they're in the middle of something that's so horrible and so awful to them, death is preferable. Correct. Um, 
so, I mean, a lot of it is your location um, in terms of, of how your life is, is being lived and what you were born into. Um, and it's a lot harder to let go of the things that you, you know, again, it's what do you cling to? Do you cling to the hope? Um, or are you clinging to your, to, to, to your life, you know, to the things in your life? Yeah. Not just your life, but also some of the things in your life. Like, you know, I don't have a family other than my parents, you know, really. You have a brother. Um, I've got a, yeah. Wait, wow. <laughs> I only have my parents. Uh, I love my brother, but I'm not close with my brother. So, I mean, a... we, we talk maybe two, three times a year. It's, it's yeah. not something that. You know, my, my parents are a much more involved part of my life. Sorry, I hope you didn't listen to this podcast. And, <laughs> but aside from them, I mean, yeah. I, I don't have a lot. And so there's, there's kind of a different view where you're concerned about your family. I'm like, well, yeah. you know, yeah. I, I'm going to try and make my passing as easy as possible in terms of, <laughs> like, things that they have to deal with. Yeah. Um, you know, I've already put my service together and whatever so that nobody has to deal with that after I'm gone. It's like, okay, here's what she wanted. Here's what we're doing. Hey, I'll, Pastor Chad, here's my, all my stuff. Blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, uh, yeah. is there something you need to <laughs> tell me? Just, you know, trying to make things easier for people when, when I am gone. You know, as, as you continue to um, progress in life, you do start to think about those things a little bit more. Um, but... It, 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 like I said, I, th I think how you view death and how you view all of that really does depend on what you, you have in life, where you are in life, where those things, because I know a lot of people who once all their friends are gone, you know, they're 102 years old and, and whatever, they're, they're ready. Yeah. They say, you know what? I'm ready. I am, I'm ready for this to happen. Yeah. So it, it is... It varies, and it's different, but when you have a good life and you're in the middle of that good life, doing something to upend that good life seems yep. counterintuitive, and that's where that whole, I want to um, confront the world on how the world operates so we can bring the kingdom of God in, but that's going to totally upend my life, is a hard sell. It really is. Well, and that's, I know we're like we're rambling here for a while, yep. but it's also where church leadership becomes really a challenge. How much, how much do you push and you go, oh, wait a minute, so-and-so is mad. How, how, much, how much can you challenge people to really push for the kingdom, to, to make the world the kingdom of God within the church, which I think is absolutely the, the responsibility of the church. But when the church, as in the members, push back and you go, oh, wait a minute. Right. Where's that, where's that line? How, how much good am I going to do if I no longer have a job? Correct. And I'm not here to, yep. to do, yeah. Yep. So, yeah, you have to balance all of that out. Yep. All right, well, we did go a little bit over. Uh, sorry about that. Heavy text, tough text. <laughs> Next week. Yay! <laughs> Next week, Jesus is condemned. <laughs> but we're, hey, we're getting closer to Easter. We are. We are getting closer to Easter, and we are going to be so ready for Easter by the time that it gets here. So yeah. 
Thanks for joining us. We appreciate you uh, putting up with our very morbid, dark conversations. Happy week. <laughs> Enjoy Lent. <laughs> we'll talk to you later. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.